If you have a copy of God's Word with you this morning, turn to Matthew chapter 6. We are continuing our study through the Sermon on the Mount, and we are looking at the topic of living right or right living part two. Last week we looked at this same passage and we saw a couple of aspects of this passage, but this morning I want to draw out a few more and hopefully we will be challenged to put those into practice. Matthew chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 5 down through verse 18, but before we read God's word, listen to this story. His name was George McCluskey. He found himself to be a new father. He was a new father of a second daughter. First daughter was a couple of years older. And, and as he held that baby in his hands, he just felt that God was, was encouraging him. He was challenging him to pray for his family, to pray for his daughters and to pray for their lives, that they would not just be physically healthy, but that they would grow spiritually. And, and he really believed that God was calling him to pray one hour a day for these two girls. And so that's what he did. He set out every single day from 11 o'clock in the morning till noon, and he bowed his head and he prayed. And it was not much far into that practice, just a few months into that practice, that he felt the Lord was saying, you need to pray more, not just for these two, but you need to pray for generations to come of your family. And so George expanded his prayer time. He expanded his prayer time from 11 a.m. to noon, and he started praying for a second generation, his grandkids. And then he started praying for a third generation, his great-grandkids. And he even expanded it more to pray for a fourth generation, his great-great-grandkids. And that's what he did the remainder of his days. Every day from the hour of 11 a.m. to 12 noon, he prayed. And from that, those two girls grew up and they married two pastors. And they had kids. They had three girls and a boy, I believe. And that generation, those three girls, they grew up and they married pastors. And that boy grew up and became a pastor. Used by God all over the United States. Third generation, there were boys and girls. The girls married pastors. The boys became pastors. Fourth generation. George McCluskey has been praying for four generations. George McCluskey is now gone and living on the streets of gold in those mansions that Jesus has prepared. In that fourth generation, there were two boys. The two boys, they knew exactly what the lineage was. It had been instilled in them from early on that every single person either married somebody in the ministry or was in the ministry because of the prayers of a faithful man. Those two boys graduated high school. They were accepted into the same college. They were roommates. And one accepted the call into the ministry, and the other was gifted in psychology. 
And he really felt that God was calling him into psychology, knowing that for four generations you were either a pastor or married to a pastor. But he wanted to fulfill what he believed God had for him, and so therefore he went into psychology, and he was called the black sheep of the family to his face. And this black sheep of the family started his own psychology practice. This black sheep of the family, he started writing. And he wrote a book, and that book became a number one bestseller for parents. And then he wrote another, and he wrote another. And this black sheep of the family was starting to be interviewed by those on radio talk shows, and he even started his own talk show. And it became known, and there was hundreds of radio stations, even about at the peak, I believe there was like 1,300 radio stations that this black sheep of the family was on every single day. He started a ministry later in life. That ministry, we know it as Focus on the Family, and that black sheep of the family is James Dobson. But you go back four generations, and there is a dad who says, okay, Lord, I will do what you want me to do. I will pray. If you want me to pray an hour a day for my family, I'll pray an hour a day. George McCluskey never met him. This side of heaven, I won't meet him because he is gone. But there's no way that he set out to pray one hour a day for his family, for some pastor to stand in 2018 and state the story of his family. just didn't happen. That wasn't why he prayed. Jesus gets at this same statement. Why are you doing these spiritual matters? Why are you living life this way? And how should you and I live our lives? Read with me Matthew chapter 5, excuse me, chapter 6, verse 5 down through verse 18. And when you pray, when you pray, You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you that they receive their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and your face, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, speak this morning. Every single person in this room needs to hear from you. Every single one of us, Father. Lord, we need to be challenged. We need to be encouraged to live right. And I pray this morning that you would do just that from your word. The moments that we spend in Matthew chapter 6, God, would you bless them? And God, would it not just be in this moment, at this place, that you would speak, but God, you would speak all throughout your week. Lord, we would be drawn close to you. Again, I ask, God, that you would speak and we would hear you today. Christ's name. Amen. You know, every week I try to kind of boil the whole sermon down to one sentence. Trying to get the goal of the sermon. If I can get that clear in my mind, hopefully the 30, okay, 40, not 50 minute sermon will come out clear in your minds. Here's the goal for the day. The goal today is for you not only to remember the aspects of right living, that of giving, of prayer and fasting, stuff that we looked at last week, how we defined it and what our motivation was and that it was expected of us. But the goal today is for you and for me not to only remember the aspects of right living and those motivations behind them, but to be challenged to practice them. For you and me to be challenged this morning to live right. To have righteousness and practice it every single day. And in trying to reach that goal, let me draw your attention to two points. The first is this, the focus of righteousness, the focus of living right, the focus of right living is God. It's God. Jesus, in this passage, as he has the hundreds, the thousands sitting out on that hillside, and he is talking to them, he's preaching to them there in Galilee, his focus is pinpointed. He is directing the focus of every single woman, boy, girl, and man in the group to focus in on God. You see it in 
the aspect of giving. In those first four verses, I didn't read those for us this morning, but in those first four verses of the chapter, he says, hey, don't go out and sound a trumpet when you give. Don't even let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. You're giving for God, not for people around you to see. Then he turns his focus, as we read just a second ago, of that of prayer. Don't be like the hypocrites and go stand on the street corner and draw attention to yourself. We saw it last week, the motivation there. But when you pray, Riverbend, when you pray, sir, when, when you pray, ma'am, get, get in, in a closet, get in secret and pray. And your Father who sees that will reward you. The focus of right living, the focus of living right and that of righteousness is God. He tells them as they're praying not to stand on the street corner, but then he says, hey, don't be like the Gentiles either who wax on eloquently with a thousand words thinking that their words will help them to be heard by God. He knows what you need. And if you... mispronounce some syllables, syllables, and you wax eloquently on this, that, or the other, it is not going to help you and it is not going to help me before the throne of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He knows what you need. He knows what I need. And then in focusing their attention on God, he looks at the spiritual discipline of fasting. So remember to brush your hair when you're fasting. And your teeth, for that matter. Remember not to draw attention to yourself when you're fasting. But to point your attention and your focus on God. All of these were done for one thing. To point us toward God. To point us toward Jesus. Or to point others toward Him. Not to draw attention to ourselves. If one's focus is others, pay attention to the words. If one's focus is others. Students, if the only reason you're here is because mom made you get up and get dressed and you're here, thank you, you're obeying your parents. For everybody else in the room, Everybody else in the room, if the reason that you're here is because of somebody on a horizontal level from you said you better get your tail to church today, you're missing it. You and I are missing it. If the reason that we're in this room is because of others on a horizontal plane and our focus is not on Him, we cannot, we are not practicing righteousness. I was pastoring my first church and I was 24, possibly 25 year, years old when this conversation came about. And just to let you know, they don't teach anybody this in seminary. But I had the conversation with a upstanding citizen in our community who was a member of the church that I was pastoring. And he came and he told me, you know, Brian... The, uh, the real reason that I come to church is because it's good for my business. I think my jaw dropped wide open when I heard those words. 
his business was in the town that I pastored where the church was. His business dealt with people and he needed more people to come through his doors. And one of the ways that he thought he could get more people to come through his doors for his practice was to attend on Sunday morning. If the reason for you being here is not God, if the reason for you being here is not Jesus, for you praising Him or desiring to know Him or grow closer to Him, you and I, every time we walk in, and it's not that reason, we are missing. And those sitting on a hillside in Galilee and those sitting in black chairs are standing on this stage today. If that is where we are, may we state that we will never be there again. Take a moment and let's look at the model prayer. Or the disciples' prayer. Maybe you know it as the Lord's Prayer. I would not call it the Lord's Prayer because it is a diagram or a teaching of how we are to pray. The Lord's Prayer, I would describe it or define it as John chapter 17. But let's look at it. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, down through verse 13. The Lord's Prayer. I'm going to read it for us again and I want you to... Just jot down what you think the focus of the prayer is. As I read it, I may put some emphasis on some certain words to help you focus in on what the topic is. But as I read it, you think about what the focus of the prayer is. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. And follow. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's not written here, but you know the subject of the next statement. You give us this day our daily bread, and you forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And you lead us not into temptation, but you deliver us from evil. So, everybody, everybody, we're going to give our Sunday school answer, all right? Sunday school answer. What's the prayer about? God, it is. Y'all are great. Y'all are all past. It's, it's awesome. Jesus taught the prayer. And the focus of the prayer was one thing, was one person, one entity. And his whole direction in teaching this and reason behind in focusing this group and us alike is for us to know him. So think back the last seven days. Were your prayers like that? Were your prayers focused on Him? 
Were your prayers lifting up the Father? Were your prayers, your prayers, were they focused on Him or were there, were there more moments in your prayers or more seconds in your prayers focused on you and the things that you wanted done? Our Father, you're part of the family, Jesus is saying. You are a brother or sister in Christ. You are a part of the family. Our Father, hallowed, it means to render holy or to honor, to set apart. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. Question, how is God's kingdom and how is God's will done in heaven? It is done totally It is done in perfect timing. It is done without any want in heaven. And he is saying, if you're going to pray, then pray the same that it would happen like that on earth. Father, you give us our daily bread. Father, you forgive us of our trespasses. Father, you lead us away from evil. From temptation. Father, you deliver us. It is the Father who does all of this. And the Father is the one who the prayer is about. My question as I was going through my week, were my prayers like that? My question for you and for me alike is this. Are our prayers like that. This whole prayer is about the Father. The whole prayer is focused on the Father. The whole prayer acknowledges who God is and conversing with Him about who He is. Let's move down to fasting for a moment. What is fasting? What is the purpose of fasting? In his book, Habits of Grace, David Mathis defines fasting this way. Fasting is an exceptional measure designed to channel and express the desire of God and our holy discontent in a fallen world. It is for those not satisfied with the status quo. For those who want more of God's grace. For those who feel truly desperate for God. Just as in, as with prayer, fasting's focus is on God. It is the person's desire to see more of God, whether that is because they are already close to Him, and because of that close proximity to Him, you and I yearn for more, or it is the fact that we are so far away from Him, and we feel so far away from Him, that we yearn to be close again to Him. We fast. And I know immediately what your thought is. Your thought is, but man, I've got to go without food. Well, think about it this way. Don't put your focus on fasting, on what you're not getting, like grease and oil, trans fat, Unwanted calories. Don't, don't put your focus there. Because if that's where you start, if that's where I start, and so often it is, then, then we've missed it. 
But may our focus be. May our focus be on the one that we desire to grow closer to, on the one that we desire to get close to, or to point others to. So what do we do? If we look at this first point, we see the the focus of righteousness is is God. What, What are we to do? Great time for you to take down some notes, mentally or actually. Your choice. Pray. Pray. Pray with the focus on God and not you. Pray Scripture. Read Psalm 23, Psalm 46, Psalm 1, Psalm 19, Psalm 119. See the attributes or the characteristics of God and pray those to Him. You don't just have to take those. You can take any of them. Read passages like Philippians chapter 2 or Ephesians chapter 2 or Romans chapters 4 through 8 and see God and thank him for Jesus. Came across this quote, you'll see it on the screen. What a quote about prayer. Oh, what conviction. Have you ever thought about prayer this way? The one concern of the devil is to keep the saints from prayer. Your enemy, my enemy, our enemy, fears nothing from prayerless studies. He fears nothing from prayerless work, from prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, mocks at our wisdom, but trembles when we pray. Prayer turns ordinary mortals into men, might I add, women of power. Prayer brings fire. It brings rain. It brings life. It brings God. There is no power like that of prevailing prayer. So pray. Life is terrible at the moment. Pray. There seems to be no hope. Pray. The job is weighing on you. Pray. The child is running away from the direction you have reared them. Pray. Whatever it is, pray. For in that prayer, the enemy, and there is a real enemy, and his name is Satan, the enemy trembles when you and I pray. So pray fast. Fast, not thinking about what you're not getting, food, but thinking about the desire to know Him more, the desire to see Him close, the desire to be right there with Him. Whether you're far away or you are extremely close, fast for more of Him. We see a second point, not only... Do we see that this truth of living right and the focus is God, but right living brings rewards? It brings rewards. Let me state this quickly and we'll move to a response. The statements are all there about rewards. And all giving, prayer, and fasting, all of those subjects have 
rewards. They have rewards if your focus is on the horizontal, and they have a reward if your focus is on the vertical, meaning God and meaning it right. Everything you and I do, everything we do, has an effect. If bad or wrong, they're called consequences. If good and right, they are rewards. Rewards from others around you. They can be a consequence. If you and I practice righteousness in the wrong way, we will receive the reward, i.e. somebody will see it. If our eyes are on the horizontal, the rewards from those around you and around me are given on that level. Or are your eyes on the vertical? Your Father in heaven sees what you're doing and He will reward you. Rewards in our day and in our time can be a slippery slope. If you turn on any television station and you hear a preacher, you can be quick to see, hey, if you will just live this way, then God will bless with that. Please understand that it can be a slippery slope. Please understand that every reward that he gives is not more zeros to the left of a decimal in your bank account, less thorns in life that He's called you to live. Not everyone gets to live to the ripe old age of 99 and have two generations around their bedside. No problems up until this moment and them close their eyes and go to heaven. That is not a promise given anywhere in His Word. As a kid, I always remember my parents, every time they'd go on a trip, when they come back from the trip, they would have some little gift, some little gift of where they went, and they would hand it to me. Every time they leave, go on a vacation, go this, that, or the other, they'd always come back, and they would have something for me. I've continued that practice, if I remember it. But I've continued that practice for the most part. And every time that I go away somewhere for a trip or we go on a vacation and one of us are not there, we bring back just a little momentum, momentum, momentum of the trip for those that weren't there. How wrong would it be? How wrong would it be? If the only time that I showed affection toward my parents, how wrong would it be if the only time that my kids or Paige would show affection toward me is when I come back from a trip and I hand them a small little token, say, oh yeah, while I was on the trip, I was, I was thinking about you just, just a little bit. Those five minutes in this gift shop, I was thinking about you. How wrong. Is it for you and me that the only time we come before God is seeking a reward from Him? Will He reward us? Yes. Will that reward be physical? Possibly. But He does reward us.
If I were to stand before you this morning and I were to say to you, sir, ma'am, tried and true, I promise, if you do these four steps, four steps, you will have the answer to financial security and your bank account will boom. And I will give you example out of, after, after example. I'll give you in this area of life and in this area of life, in this generation and in that generation. It's not a scheme. It's not, it is tried and true. Here are the four steps. If you will do them, there will be bank at the end. How many of us would not take that? Or, if I were to stand before you and I would say, here is the answer. Here's the answer to cancer. Your husband might have it. Your wife might have it. Your grandparent might have it. Your son or daughter might have it. Here's the answer. How many of us, if this was the answer, you and I wouldn't take it? Out on a hillside some 2,000 years ago, Jesus said, if you want to get closer to God, if you want to see Him, sir, ma'am, if you want Him to work powerfully in your life, here is the answer. Live this way. Give, not worried about who's seeing you, not, not for them. Pray, not even thinking about these people around you. Fasting, not even worried. All drawing attention to Him. And you will receive what you are seeking after. The verses for this month are the next three verses. And they are the answer to this issue. Matthew chapter 6 verse 19 states this. Do not, River Bend, do not. Lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where what? Where, where moth and rust, they destroy. Or where thieves can come in and steal. Don't do that. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal For where your treasure is, there your heart is. Now, that's kind of stated it backwards as to how we would think of it and how we would say. We would say wherever your heart is, there your treasure is. And that is true. But he says, hey, the treasure is great. And if you and I would just focus on that, our heart will get there. So what's your treasure? you're practicing living right folks if you are practicing your righteousness may you and I see him heavenly father I come before you God I thank you thank you for the challenge that is before us father sometimes it it is hard and I have to check the motives Often because of why I do this or say that. 
Thank you for that. God, may everything that we do may it be focused on You. May it draw attention to You. May it draw me closer, us closer. May it point others toward You. Lord, I, I know what my week has been like this week, and I, I am sure that in the room here today, there are those that are far from You. God, their desire to come back. Their, their desire is to see You. My desire is to see You. My desire is to come back close. So Father, as, as we sing, Father, may our focus, may, may it be on You. May the response not be for somebody that's been standing on a stage. May it not be for those that are around us, a significant other. But Father, may it be for You. God draws close. And may we live it out today. It's a time of response. Time of invitation. The altar is open. Maybe you need to just come and kneel at the altar. Maybe you need to come and talk with me. If you don't know Jesus, if you've never met Him as Savior and Lord, please know that He loves you so much that He died for you. He took your sin and it was great. Just like He took my sin and it was great. He is a greater Savior. Loves you so much that He took your place and died for you. Come to know Him this morning. Draw close to Him as we stand and as we sing. You come.